morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. For our Jewish friends around the world, we say Shana Tova. The two-day holiday known as Rosh Hashanah began Friday night at sundown and concludes tonight at sundown. It's the Jewish New Year, one of the most important holidays in the Jewish calendar. It's a time for special foods with important traditions and mitzvahs, which are deeds that are done to fulfill God's commandments. And it's a time to hear the blowing of the shofar, which is a ram's horn. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16, the Apostle Paul, who is Jewish and Christian, reminds us church-age believers that thanks to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, we are now one with our Jewish brethren. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Therefore remember that you, formerly, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, that's us, the church-age believers, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. The Jewish people uh, are the chosen people of God, and they let it go to their heads, and so all of a sudden there uh, there were two groups the uncircumcision and the circumcision. And the circumcision refers to the fact that the male child who is Jewish is circumcised on the eighth day after they're born when the blood is able to coagulate. So if you were wondering if racism started recently, it did not. It started a long time ago. It's always been the case that we use everything we have against other people. And so... We are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. And that's a circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were, you Gentiles, that's us, were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We had no national hope because Israel is the chosen nation of the Lord, and strangers to the covenant of promise. And those are the five promises made to Abraham by the Lord, which is why the Jewish people cannot be wiped out. And everybody has tried year after year after year to wipe out the Jewish people, and it never happens. The Holocaust should have gotten it done. It did not happen. Why? Because it will never happen. And there will never be peace in the Middle East. Because all of the nations around Israel want to kill all the Jews. And it will never occur. Because the Lord made five promises to Abraham, the father of the Jews, and those promises will be kept. So remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, with no national hope, and strangers to the covenant of promise. The five promises made to Abraham by the Lord, having no hope of a coming Messiah... And that's what the Jewish people were waiting for, the coming Messiah. And he came, and he went, and they missed it. And without God in the world, we were in a desperate situation. Without God in the world, we were in the same condition that we were in physical birth. Physically alive and spiritually dead, on the wrong side of a barrier, with no relationship with God, and sentenced to death in the lake of fire. And those of us who have become believers in Christ are no longer under that condemnation, but everyone is born under that condemnation. And that's what's referred to here in Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.13. But now, my two favorite words in the Bible. 
But now you see this, you always see this desperate situation and there's no hope and you get depressed, you know, just like in Romans 3.21 where we get this big indictment against the human race. And then all of a sudden in verse 21, but now what did Jesus Christ do? Here it is. But now a new position, no longer our position in Adam, but a new position in union with Christ Jesus. Therefore, out of union with Adam, you Gentiles, that's us, who formerly were far off, have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. What an amazing thing Jesus Christ did for all mankind at the cross to shed his blood, to pay for every sin we'd ever commit, past, present, and future. Those, your sins should never be on your mind because they are paid for, past, present, and future. And now we have a living hope. If we want a relationship with Christ, we can have one. If we don't want a relationship with Christ, we can do that too. We have a choice. And so it's amazing what the Lord has done for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For Jesus Christ himself is our peace. One of my favorite Greek words, irene. Jesus Christ is our peace. What does peace mean as far as God is concerned? It means that God has nothing against us. Why? Because of what Christ did at the cross. And Jesus Christ, who made both groups, Jews and Gentile, into one group, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall of hostility between the groups. The cross changed everything. Ephesians 2.15. By abolishing in his flesh on the cross the enmity. Enmity is absolute hatred which is the Mosaic law of commandments and ordinances, which have now been completed by Christ. He fulfilled the law so that in himself, Jesus might make the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man, a new creation, thus establishing peace. Ephesians 2.16. And so that he might reconcile them both, Jews and Gentiles, in one body to God the Father through the cross, by the cross, having put to death, the enmity. Jesus Christ nailed all of our sins to the cross. They are done and now the barrier has dropped and we have an ability to have a relationship with God if we want one. So always remember this. Anti-Semitism has no place in the Christian way of living. We do not as Christians support anyone who does not support Israel and who does not support the Jews. And that's just that. Why? Because the Lord supports the Jews. May all of our Jewish friends have a great 5781. <laughs> that's the year. <laughs> they can't count. See, that's what happened. You know, it's 2020, and they're all the way up in 5781. Amen. <laughs> so my Jewish brethren got a lot of things going for them, but they can't count. That's all right, though. <laughs> that's all right now at Barah Ministries we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God as Lord he is 100% deity he is God the Son a member of the triune Godhead he's also 100% human just like you and me and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord God the Son became flesh Jesus Christ and he lived among us he is the uniquely born one why? because he is the only person ever who is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. 
He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. All of us will meet the Lord Jesus Christ one day. The people who study with Barah Ministries are not going to be shocked at who they meet because they're going to know him long before they get there to meet him. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world. And as I've told you many times, 60% of Christians don't believe that Satan exists. One of Satan's best deceptions is that he does not exist. He exists. And he is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. And he doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. Well, the word of God is truth, and it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, just like this. We're placed into union with Christ at the moment of salvation, and we can't get out. No matter what we want to do, we can't get out, because God put us there, and he never changes his mind. So as believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson. If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? Our guest Norma said, nah, uh uh-uh, ain't. That's right, it ain't. No, it's not okay. Now, one of the big lies of our time involves following the crowd. In my experience, the majority is almost always wrong. We may not think so. But like the first century Corinthian believers, we have an obsession with idols. Ooh, I just happen to have one here. Ooh, look at my shiny object. I can make this do anything I want to. And I stare at it all the time. That's the first thing I touch when I get up. It's the last thing I touch before I go to bed. I carry it with me everywhere. If I don't have it, I feel naked, the idol. Yeah, we have idols. And... So did the first century Corinthian believers. Today, most of our idols are electronic, smartphones, social media, the anti-social media, they should call it, and all forms of impersonal gadgets. And that's one of the lousy things about having these obsessions with those electronic idols that we have turned from people to things, and it's ruining our relationships. If you go in the airport and you walk around, you'll see a father, you'll see a mother, you'll see the kids. Here's an opportunity for them to bond. And what are they doing? Staring at that, staring at that, staring at that. How are we teaching our kids today? With video games. Kill people. Stomp stuff. Call of duty. I, I, I call Zach up. He's the expert on all that stuff. Spends most of his life doing that. Worshiping idols is a great way to ruin your relationship with God as well. So in today's lesson, as we continue to study 1 Corinthians, Chapter 10, Paul continues making his argument about our relationship to idols with his most severe warning in this whole passage. All right, so let's hear some music. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ and all believers in Christ are, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Passed away means died. The old things have died. 
Behold, new things have come. Well, the only thing that makes this life worthwhile is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Chris Tomlin tells us why. It's because he is the God of all my days. You're welcome. to you with my heart in pieces and found the God with healing in his hands I look to you drowning in my questions and found the God who holds all wisdom and I trusted you Stepped out on the ocean You caught my hand among the waves Cause you're the God of all my days Each step I take You make a way And I will give you all my
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the comfort a relationship with you provides. When everything in our lives is darkness, you are the one constant. You are the light. Thank you for your perfect plan for our lives. Thank you for your provisions, which are abundant beyond measure. Thank you for the unseen and often unnoticed protections you provide to keep us safe in Satan's kingdom. And thanks most of all for your unconditional love and your forgiveness and your grace. Teach us to pass your provisions on to all and to love everyone unconditionally just as you do. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, if all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? <laughs> no. But what is that? If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? What is that? It's called a collusion. It's a secret agreement between parties to do something illegal and to cover each other for it. Don't tell dad. That's one of the frequent collusions in families. Don't tell mom. I hate that collusion, by the way. Especially the don't tell dad when I don't like that collusion so much. We engage in collusions every day. What is it? Secret agreements. Keeping secrets. And it always blows up. It's always perceived as a lie. Why would you do it? What kind of lie is it? It's a lie of omission. That's not openness. That's not honesty. Why would you do it? Well, but that's what we do. You know, if everybody is staring at their phone all day long, then it's okay, right? It's okay not to develop empathy skills, right? It's okay not to have social skills anymore, right? And, and it's fitting right into the grand scheme of things, social distancing. First social media, now social distancing. We have to stay away from each other. We need to go into our homes. We need to be afraid of each other. <gasps> And it's so funny, you know, it wasn't like, I'm a very social person, even though I'm an introvert. I'm a very social person, but being social gets me tired. That's what being an introvert means. I don't get my power from being around other people. But I'm very social. And even when things were quote-unquote normal, when I would engage people socially, they're, oh, they're so scared. You get on the elevator and you speak to somebody, ah! And I got on the elevator one time, and... I, you know, I was on the elevator, this lady gets in the elevator, and I noticed she was so nervous, she's holding her purse and pulling her stuff, that she didn't press her floor. I said, lady, hit the floor. She dives on the floor. I said, no, that's not what I meant. Get up. It's just, <laughs> can, I get a, can I get one of those? <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Thank you. It was a little late. Keep it, keep it ready, because I got another one for you. Did you, hear, did you hear about the blind man who took his dog into the bar, and he's spinning the dog around and around and around? The bartender said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just looking around. <laughs> All right, so anyway, <laughs> have I made it clear that I don't like collusion? I don't. All right. But we engage in these little secrets, and so we think if we all agree to the collusion that it's okay. And the truth is, it's not. You know, the atheist crowd, people who don't believe there is a God, they think if there are there's strength in numbers and they write their little books and 
they express their intellect and they say there is no God because a lot of people agree with it, then it's right. It's not. It is not. So, the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Three chapters on a single subject, idol meat. Three chapters, probably 10 or 15 lessons on a single subject, idol meat. Do you really think that this is about idol meat? That's just the example. What it's about is idols and idolatry. And God has had us parked here for a while because he wants us to know that he doesn't like idols or idolatry. See, here's the thing. At the cross, all your sins were paid for, past, present, and future. Done. Paid. So what does the goofy, immature person do? Oh, well, I can do anything I want, right? Yes, you can, because you have free will. You've always been able to do anything you want. Now, does that mean it's smart? No, it isn't. But what most of us like doing is licking hand grenades. We like licking hand grenades after the grenade's been pulled. We like putting our fingers... (laughs) That wasn't a joke, that's true. We like putting our hand in the cookie jar to see how many cookies we can steal before we get caught. But we always get caught. We always get caught. Yeah, it's horrible. So, for us, this has been a lesson in idols and idolatry. We're coming to the end of the lesson. We just have two sections to go. Today we'll do one of them. Now, you may remember a couple of lessons ago, I told you that God is the perfect instructor. He gives us the questions that will be on the test, He gives us the answers to the test, and then he gives us the test. And said another way, he teaches us in a specific way because God is very intentional and very specific. And I laugh a lot of times when Christians are going through tribulation and they say, oh, I just know God is is testing me. I just know God is testing me, but I'm blessed. I'm blessed. (laughs) Look, God, God doesn't care enough about you to test you most of the time, honestly. No, that's a joke. But look, he's not going to test you if he hasn't given you the questions that are on the test and then the answers to the test and then the test. God is not somebody who just sneaks up stuff on you. If he, has, if he gives you a catastrophic thing in your family, for example, the death of our cousin, You know, why the death of my cousin Keith is so traumatic to the family is that my Uncle Callie just died. About a year before he died, my Aunt Julie died, the mother of of Keith who died. And they were the last two people of their generation in our family. They They were the World War II generation people, and there are no more of them. And this is this is an 18-person family. My mom is one of 18 kids, and so this is a huge family, and they are all gone. All right, so now here comes Keith. He is the second person in the baby boomer generation to go out. One of, one of my cousins, Darnell, who was my favorite cousin ever, uh, died at 29 years old. Now, Keith is the first of our generation to go out, and now we're all looking around saying, uh-oh, <laughs> You know, we're going to be getting up a lot earlier in the morning now because, you know, death comes around about 5 a.m. If you ain't up, you might get taken out. Amen? You better get up earlier, people. Better get up earlier. So, look, God's not testing you before he is giving you the questions on the test and the answers to the test. And so now 
my cousin is dead and it is devastating to me to know that a man so young and so vibrant is gone and but he's in heaven it's just we're gonna miss him here it's traumatic for us down here and so I've had the test already. God has prepared me for the death of my loved ones through the word of God. Because I know that he's absent from the body and face to face with the Lord. So what, what, I'm the one who should be worried. I'm still here. He's not worrying. He's reunited with all our family members who have gone on to heaven. There's no worries for him anymore. No more COVID. No more masks. No more bills. No more going to work. Just chilling with the Lord for all of eternity. That's an amazing thing. All right, so God's teaching method is this. Here's what to do. Here's an example of it done well. Here's what not to do. Here's an example of it not done well. And here are the consequences. Now that you're prepared, here comes the test. That's the way he works. All right? So we see that in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is making four arguments about idol meat. First, even though there's no such thing as an idol, mature believers must avoid idol meat so they will not lead immature believers back to pagan worship. Most of the believers in Corinth were new to Christianity. But when you're new to something, you still keep looking over at the old thing as if it's better. You know, I'm on a a weight loss program right now, and there's specific foods that I have to eat, none of which are the foods that I would rather be eating. I can't eat no Mike and Ike's. I can't have my steak with butter. I can't have any wine. It's bothering me. Amen? That's all right. I'm down 20 pounds in 20 days. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely whining on my part. But I'm down 20 pounds in 20 days, but there has to be self-restraint if you want to do something great. Self-restraint is always connected to doing the great, great things. So for mature believers, we know there's no idol. We know you can eat anything you want because the Bible tells us that. Yet, if we're going to use that maturity to hurt an immature brother who says, oh, well, if the mature person is eating idle meat, it's okay for me to eat idle meat. And in fact, it's okay for me to go back to all my pagan practices, which are anti-God. No, it isn't. So we use self-restraint. Second, Paul argues that great teachers practice what they preach. And Paul offers an example of him doing it. He says, "I I can marry. There's no prohibition against me marrying, but I choose not to do it. I can get paid by the churches that I serve for preaching the gospel. The Lord sanctions it. And I choose not to do it. Why? Because I don't want to turn people off to the gospel. I don't want to be distracted by a wife because when you have a family, it takes time. You have to raise them and God expects you to. But Paul didn't have a family, so he could dedicate himself totally to writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wasn't getting paid, so he had to work, very much like me. You know, I get paid a nominal salary, but I have to work to pay the bills because I like spending money. Uh, Third, (laughs) Paul warns, don't be like the Jews in the wilderness. They ignored all of God's provisions. They ignored it that he freed them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 
they ignored that he, they were in a trap and hopeless and desperate and they part and he parted the red sea for them and then drowned the people who were pursuing him he he provided them manna that fell from the sky every night the perfect food but like like june would do if she was in the desert and the manna is falling she'd be complaining that there was no barbecue sauce amen and so the jews were doing that they were complaining that there was no, they, they were, they, I missed the food back in Egypt. I've been to Egypt, the food's not that good, y'all. I mean, Mediterranean cuisine's okay, but it gets boring after a while. And he provided them water in the desert. The first thing they wanted was some water. They're complaining, I don't see any water. It's just sand. Where's the water? It's back there. You want to go back and see the Egyptians? See what happened to the guys who went in the water? But no, he gave them a rock that sprang forth water and that followed them through the desert. And then he gave them the protection of his presence. He was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And they knew that he was with them all the time, protecting them. And what did they do? They complained incessantly. The Meribah incident, the Hebrew word which means whining. So as a result, 23,000 of them died at the hand of the Lord in one day. All right, so Paul's message in his final argument, those were the three arguments that he's used that we've studied so far. His argument in this final passage, this final section, is the most severe. He warns the Corinthian believers not to lick hand grenades after the grenade pin is pulled. Now look, if you guys don't know about hand grenades, here it is. You got a grenade, and it's fine as long as you're holding it in your hand. And then as soon as you pull the pin, and you let go of that little release lever, boom, it blows up. Well, what would the Jews do in the wilderness? They would hold the hand grenade, pull the pin, and start licking the grenade, right? And then thinking that it's not going to blow up in their face. It reminds me of when I was a kid. I, you know, Keith and I used to like setting off firecrackers in the 4th of July. And one time we set off a firecracker and it didn't go off. You know, so we're standing there looking, we're waiting. We wait the ob obligatory two minutes. It's not going to go off. So I go pick it up, and it's got a really short stem. And so I say, okay, go ahead and light it. See, that's really stupid because <laughs> as soon as you light it, the gunpowder goes right down into the thing, and boom. So it was, okay, light it. He lit it. I let it go. And, and just as it had left my hand, boom, it reverberated all the way up my arm. Yeah, I was like that for about a week. See? That's, that's what a lot of people do. They lick the grenade. They light the short stem firecracker. My recommendation is don't ever lick a, gr a hand grenade. It's not smart. But that's another story. So let's take a look at the next section of this passage and study it verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 22 says this. Therefore, my beloved, what Paul is calling them is, you divinely love believers who are members of the Christian church at Corinth. That's when you see beloved in the Bible. That's a reference to believers in Christ, and it means divinely loved ones. And Paul is always reminding you that you are divinely loved so that you don't ever lose your mind when you're hearing something that may be reproving you. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. What does that mean? Get away from the grenade. The pin has been pulled. 
What it means is there are certain sins that really do have a devastating effect. Stay away from them. And idolatry is one of those sins. Why? There's a demon, an angelic creature behind every idol. It's not, no, it's not innocent when you go have a psychic reading. No, it's not intimate. It's not innocent. You are consorting with demons. Amen? No, it's not intimate when you get a book on your horoscope. You want, a, you want a prediction of the future? Here's your horoscope. It's got 66 books, only 27 of which you're responsible for. There's your horoscope. You want to know the future? The best history book in the history of mankind is all the way in the back at the end, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, written by the Apostle John. You want to know what's going on in the world right now? It's right in there. All this stuff that's going on, you, you, here, 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 here's what's going to happen. We're going to steal your freedoms. You can't watch football. You can't watch baseball. You can't, watch, you can't go to the stadiums. You got a business. Some of your businesses are essential and some are not. You spent your whole life dreaming about the business, but we get to tell you what's essential and what's not. And if you're not essential, you can't go and work and make any money. But don't worry, we'll give you $600 a week. $600 a week? That's how much I spend on manicures, amen? It's like $600 a week? Come on. I could have gotten a drum on that, I think. <laughs> yeah. He was. He was thinking, is that how much it costs to get your nails done? Yeah. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So, okay, that's it. They're stealing your freedom. Oh, but it's, it passed, it's going to be okay after the election. Yeah, it there is. All more of your freedoms are going to be gone. All right? Then the next thing is going to be the vaccination that modifies your DNA genetically. Yeah, then that. And if you don't take the vaccination, then you don't get to travel or have any fun at all. And there's going to have to be a proof, so you're going to have a little thing in your arm that proves it so I can scan to make sure. Right now, they're warming us up for it. I, I went to get some golf clubs fitted the other day. Oh, I need to take your temperature. I'm hot. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, 98.4. Don't be funny, Negro. Let's just, get out, just get in there and get your fitting. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much. Idols. There's a demon behind them. Stay away from idolatry. Idolize the Bible. Idolize Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying to you. Now, Paul is shifting from an indirect approach to a direct approach in his argument. He's been nice so far. He's being soft on the people. But now... In these last two sections, he's going to be tough on the issue, and the issue is flee fornication, flee idolatry. He told us flee fornication earlier in the letter, now he's telling us flee idolatry. He is no longer pulling punches. There is no compromise. Eating food, sacrifice to idols is off limits. The Lord is very intolerant of idolatry. And just as Paul told us to flee fornication earlier in the letter, to avoid consorting with prostitutes, he wants us to flee idolatry as well as if it were a hand grenade with a pen pulled. We are to be one with Christ and not one with idols. Just as our, we are to be one with our spouses and not one with 
prostitutes or gigolos. A way to look at the sin of consorting with idols is to imagine that you are taking a bath in nuclear waste. When would you ever consider that to be okay? Hmm? Say it, never. Absolutely not. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. I speak as if you're wise. You judge what I say. That was a little sarcasm because the Corinthians see themselves as knowledgeable. They were into all the stuff that the Greeks were doing at that time. And it was all about the intellect. So they thought they were so smart. He's saying here, in essence, if you're so smart, what do you think about what I just said? Well, remember what Paul said earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed so that he does not fall. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're all that. Don't think you know all that. Paul doesn't want the wise and knowledgeable believers of Corinth to think getting together with unbelievers to eat idle food is ever okay. There are consequences, and God is teaching us the consequences now through Paul, and the Lord's Supper is used as an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless, referring to the wine of the Lord's Supper, fellowship in the blood of Christ? You thought we got together to just drink grape juice and eat some old stale crackers? No. We get together to fellowship with God. That's what this is. The Lord's Supper is not the bread of the Lord's Supper, which we break fellowship in the body of Christ. Yes, it is. Put that verse up, my man. Read it again. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless, referring to the wine of the Lord's Supper, fellowship in the blood of Christ? Yes, it is. Is not the bread of the Lord's Supper, which we break fellowship in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. Paul's asking questions to stimulate thinking. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll see what else Paul has to say about idle meat. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for 
I get to see Paris and May again one time, but probably not. Welcome back to today's Bible lesson. If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? All you guys out there who are eating donuts and stuff like that, just go ahead and enjoy those idols. I'll just stand up here and starve. It's no problem. Uh, I, I idolize donuts. <laughs> My day will come. Well, we're living in a time where, thank you very much. We're living in a time where many have lots of money, yet they're poor in heart and poor in spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, the Lord gives us a command. He says, you shall generously give to the poor, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give. Because for this thing, giving, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. Your generosity is making it possible for people all over the world to hear the only message that is really soothing to the soul, the Word of God. In next week's announcements, I'm going to share with you something that was written 
by a person in Europe about Barah Ministries. So keep on being generous. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We're all real people who come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth in the Word of God. And this last week, I got in touch with a friend I hadn't talked with in a long time via Facebook. <laughs> but it was kind of cool to talk to him because he's one of those friends I had a long time ago in, like, elementary school. And we got to talking about how <clears throat> it's interesting when we're growing up, we kind of have groups of friends where we have like the school friends but then we don't have those kind of same friends outside of school we got like our neighborhood friends kind of different groups of friends and I was wondering you know why do we do that and it started hitting me that we compartmentalize everything in our life kind of put everything in a box we box it all up and it's true because I had some sports friends but they didn't know some of my other school friends and I had school friends but they didn't know some of my sports friends and so being on a football team together, we're hanging out. We really know each other. We go through some battles. We go through some things. We go some highs and lows. But some of the school friends didn't see that. And so you kind, of, you kind of hide yourself from people in that way. And it's not really on purpose, I don't think. We kind of we just separate it so we can control it. And I feel like um, you know, it happens with family. We kind of have certain family that we confide in, that we talk to. And there's other family that are kind of in a different box. They're, they're not as close to you. You know, we don't kind of, we don't bring them all together. You know, and we have at work, kind of have work friends. But I don't really talk to them outside of work. You know, after work, it's see ya, see you Monday. You know, we don't talk at all. And why is that? Why don't we kind of bring all these groups together? Why don't we unify them, which, was, which is what Christ would want us to do, right? Like, why don't my sports friends know some of my, my other friends? And why don't some of my, um, you know, church friends know some of my work friends? And it's just one of those things that, we kind of separate and divide it all. And that's division, which would, Satan would want. And what's our, what do our phones do? That very same thing. We divide it into Facebook friends, we've got our Instagram friends, and none of those people know about each other. But those people know about your life, right? And you have friends that know about your life, but we have all these segments that people know, but they don't group it all together. So where am I going with it? You know, why don't we bring all these people together? Why don't our church friends know our, our school friends? Because what do the school friends need? Christ in their life, right? We know that for sure. But they're not coming together. We're not grouping those two people together. It's kind of like I've got a friend that's great. He's great fixing cars, one of the best technicians around. And I've got another friend who needs a car fixed. But I don't bring those two together. They don't know each other. But if if they do know each other, if we've met, if they're friends, then, hey, they got a way to fix the car. And so that's kind of how it is with Christ. I feel like we compartmentalize our Christianity. We come here and we open it up. But then when we leave here, we close it back up. We go back to work life. We go back to friend life. We, we switch it all up. We need to open up Christianity and bring it all in through the rest of our life. And I think I was reading through Romans, which we're very familiar with. And I saw this verse in a different way, chapter 2, verse, verse 2. But Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Therefore, I, Paul, beg you, believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of the many mercies of God, to present your bodies by choice, not by command, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 2a. And do not be conformed to the world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. And that's what we do when we, we compartmentalize. We conform to the world. We start thinking, oh, um, you know, Facebook, oh, these other things. And we don't spread our, our humanity and our, our spiritual life with other things, I feel like. Um, what we do is we end up kind of boxing up our spirituality and compartmentalizing it. And then people kind of, we kind of become ashamed. Are you ashamed of your faith? Why do you, why do you hide it? So if we become ashamed of our faith, we, we almost start to lose faith. Because of everybody around us is, like Pastor saying, we're doing all these other things. We start to lose faith in our Christianity. We think, oh, maybe, maybe life is our phone. Maybe life is something else. We become conformed by Satan's cosmic system of thought and by the flesh resident in us. Instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind by studying the Word of God every day and coming to church on Sundays. Romans chapter, two, verse, chapter 12, verse 2b so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is, and the will of God is that which is good for you and that which is acceptable to him and that which is perfect in result. So it's real easy to compartmentalize everything and hide, hide our Christianity, hide our spiritual life from other people. But why? Are we ashamed of it? Are we ashamed of our faith? I think we are when we conform ourselves to this world. When we start thinking, like Pastor said, everybody's doing it, so I should do it. I don't need to, 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 oh, we got a little problem here. But, like I was saying, I think we, uh, we tend to just, we box up our spiritual life. We, we basically fill our spiritual life, but we never spill it. We never take it and then give it to everybody else. And so that's why we come here each week, is to, to fill our spiritual lives. But then we've got to give it to other people. We've got to put it in those other compartments, at work, at church at home, with our friends, with our sport friends, and bring those groups together. That's unity, right? Let them all know about Christ, all know who we are. And it's really easy, to, I think, to not do that. And I've certainly done that my whole life. I would come to, I'd go to church on Sundays, or I'd listen to my tape with theme, and then I would just shut it down for the rest of the week, for the rest of the day. I'd get my, get my Christianity, and then I'd be done. But that's not what Christ wants. He wants us to tell other people. And that's why we come here each week, and that's why we support our pastor. Um, so thank you for always supporting this ministry, and much love the pastor.
Thank you, Deacon Denny, and welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, if all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? If all my friends are worshiping idols, isn't it okay? Well, welcome back. Here's a quick recap of what we covered before the break. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, my beloved, you divinely loved believers who are members of the Christian church at Corinth, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 15. I speak to you as if you are wise. You judge what I say. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless, referring to the Lord's Supper, fellowship in the blood of Christ? It is. Is not the bread of the Lord's Supper which we break, fellowship in the body of Christ? It is. All right, let's continue our study from there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. Since there is only one loaf of bread, we who are many are come together as one body in unity, for we all partake of the one loaf of bread. God does everything in ones. God is not confusing. He is not the author of confusion. Everything is one. There's one way to get to heaven. There's only one name that's been given among men by which we must be saved. One. He's not confusing. Oh, there are many roads to God. No, there aren't. There's one road, the narrow road, Christ. That's it. Oh, well, that's so rigid. But by the way, I'm blessed. Look, <laughs> it's not rigid to be focused. You know who thinks focus is rigid? People who aren't focused. People who aren't focused always look at focused people. And they're so rigid, so, so many rules. And so, no, God, it's not about right and wrong with God. It's about effective. What's the effective way to get to heaven? Through Christ. That's it. There's only one way. He's very focused. And so, yeah, there's one loaf of bread, and we come together in unity, but we share the one loaf. You know, what is, what, what's the marriage ceremony? The two shall become one flesh. All right, now that the two are one flesh, what do they do when something goes wrong in the relationship? It's your fault. Okay, you just blamed yourself. Congratulations. We're one flesh. Stop pointing fingers. Stop being childish. One. And it's the hardest thing for people to do. Paul wants us to know that the expression anything in moderation is a lie from the pit of hell. Right? And that's what we always say. Anything in moderation. You know, I know I'm on this food program, but if I just get a little piece of that pound cake back there, just a little bit in moderation, it's okay, right? No, it isn't. Because who can eat just a little piece of pound cake? Nobody. It's like Lay's potato chips. Nobody can eat just one. You eat one, you want to eat a hundred. You know, the lie I tell myself, okay, all right, look, I'm going to get a box of Mike and Ike's, right? I am. But I'm just going to eat three of them, just three little Mike and Ike's. You can't eat three, three Mike and Ike's. You eat three boxes of Mike and Ike's. You ain't going to eat three Mike and Ike's. It's not going to be like that. Anything in moderation is a lie from the pit of hell. How about adultery in moder... moder uh, in moder in, what is the word? I don't even know. Moderation. Is that okay? Is adultery in moder moderation okay? Is, is murder in moderation okay? No, it's not. Stop buying these sound bites. They're lies. A little idol worship can ruin you forever. That's God's point. The Corinthians need to know that going back to their former manner of life is a catastrophe. Paul had a similar problem among the believers in the church at Galatia. And here's what he said to them. Galatians chapter 3, 
verse 1. He said, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? You know, Paul goes and creates the church, and everybody's a believer, and everybody's on board, and then as soon as he leaves for another land, they go right back to the legalism that they were in before. You want five chapters of a really good laugh? Just look at Galatians, the five chapters of Galatians. Because they're goofy. And what does he say to them? Who bewitched you? Dink-a-dink-a-dink. You remember bewitched? Dink-a-dink-a-dink. Somebody bewitched these poor people. Well, the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate every month, is the ultimate expression of fellowship. It's a reminder of a partnership. Partnership with the Lord excludes partnership with anyone or anything else. The Lord is a jealous God. He's not sharing you. You are his possession. He's not going to let anybody come near you to touch you. No weapon formed against a Christian will prosper. Why? Because God's not going to let anybody mess with his people. And that's the funny thing about unbelievers. They always have these apparent victories. And then they find out that they just get slam dunked. That's, you know, when Christians divorce, it's kind of funny. You know, I want to get everything I can from him. Do you really think that you're going to ruin this person? Do you really think that God's going to let you do that? There's no way. And then they find out that the person comes out on the other end tapping like... Why are you so happy? I don't know. It's almost like I got a hemorrhoidectomy or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hemorrhoidectomy? Ectomy means the removal of. Do you know what a hemorrhoid is? Yeah, so this is, this is what's called a metaphor, June. You know, we're not actually talking about the actual hemorrhoid. We're not asking you to make a picture. You understand that? It's just, it's a metaphor. All right, should I give another one? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Rita. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, this is one of those days where I really wanted to have the Cinnabon. Just so you know, I really wanted to stay home. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. Look at, look at the nation Israel, those Jews in the wilderness. Are not those who ate the idol sacrifices partners in the altars of the idol, the golden calf, thus a demon? See, that's the problem. It's not innocent, this stuff. Idols and idolatry are not innocent. They're addictive. Every Coke addict said, a little Coke in moderation is not bad. Yeah, and then the next thing you know, you got a $600 a day habit. Every alcoholic started with one drink. And now they can't control the alcohol. Amen? Amen. Don't be fooled. You can't eat three Mike and Ikes. (laughs) I can't do it. Maybe you're stronger than me. I can't do it. So it's better not to have one Mike and Ike. It's better to have none. Because as soon as it starts, it's over. Uh, High fructose corn syrup is addictive. All right, so remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6? The Jews in the wilderness demonstrated this idea. The mind set on the flesh is set on death. You, as believers in Christ, are not in the flesh, but you have the flesh in your body. And it is always talking to you. 
It is always telling you to do stuff that is completely anti-God. It's always telling you to berate the things that you do that are magnificent. But see, the flesh is so easy to deal with because the flesh is from Satan and Satan is a liar and everything he says is a lie. So when the flesh is talking to you and it says, you're such a bad mom, it's lying. Just reverse it. Whatever it said is the opposite. You're a bad pastor. Okay, so you think I'm amazing? <laughs> I get that message all the time, too. You're a bad pastor. Yeah, I know, because I'm teaching truth and you don't like it. That's what makes me a bad pastor to the kingdom of death and darkness. I'm teaching the truth. They don't want you to know the truth. They want to lie to you. They want to give you the counterfeit life. Back to Romans 8, 6. The mind set on the flesh is set on death, but the mind set on God, the Holy Spirit, is set on the resurrection life and on peace. Realizing and relaxing because they know we know God has nothing against us. Amen? Amen. It's amazing. All right, so a sure way to have peace with God is to worship God. The unbelieving mind has no regard for God. The, un the believing mind is led by the Spirit to worship God and to obey God. That's what we're all about. 1 Corinthians 10, 19. What do I, Paul, mean then? Do I mean that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Am I inferring that idols actually exist? No. I'm not, absolutely not, 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I do say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice through idolatry, even though idols don't exist, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become partakers with demons. See, if you really total it up, do you know how much time people spend on average with electronic devices a day? Six hours on average and it's low you know how much people spend studying the word of god a, a day six minutes now you tell me all right i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, six minutes is nothing but i'm gonna give you some credit just pick up the bible and read it for six minutes and then go about your day is that six minutes more important than the six hours on the phone you don't want to be on the phone. You want to be in the Bible. Because your life has problems, it has solutions. Because there is a divine solution for every human problem. One of the funniest things is you'll just pick up the Bible one day and turn to a passage, read something in that passage, and it'll apply right to your life. Why is that? Because it's supernatural. That's why that is. Now, I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They're sacrificing to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to become partners with demons because remember what eating is. It's a bonding experience. It's fellowship. A sacrifice is homage and worship. I don't want you to do that. That's what Paul is saying. A sacrifice to an idol is not a sacrifice to an idol. It's not a sacrifice to a golden calf. It's the sacrifice to the demon that is behind the idol. Oh, Pastor Rory, stop talking about demons. I don't want to think about that. That's negative. Okay, don't think about it. Does that mean they don't exist? You better go check Ephesians chapter 6, starting at about verse 12 or 13. Our warfare is not against human beings. 
is against principalities and powers. Those are demons. Officer demons, regular demons. Satan has an army too. Fallen angels, also known as demons, who are out to hurt you. Yes, it happens. Yes, it's real. Very real. Demons, fallen angelic creatures, are Satan's minions. And they encourage us through influence to do anything except worshiping God. You know all that, the, all the conversations that you have in your mind that tell you to go against somebody that you're supposed to be in unity with? You think that comes from God? Does not. It comes from demons. What they're trying to do is ruin your life. When, when a couple gets divorced, it's a great day for demon. They get your soul, they get your marriage, and if you got any kids, they get your family. They get a threefer. All from a little conversation. You're not getting treated the way you should be treated. You deserve. Those two words will ruin every life. You deserve. Deserve what? What do we deserve? Is y'all feeling me? <laughs> we, are, we are blessed. Don't listen to those words. Don't listen to that noise in your head that's lying to you. In the human realm, meals forge bonds. Meals symbolize fellowship and partnership. Next Saturday, we're going to be gathering at my house to have a meal. That meal is all about fellowship. Meals have always represented a coming together. But who do you as a Christian want to come together with? God or a demon? The Lord's Supper forges a bond with the Lord. Sacrifices to idols and eating idol meat forges a bond with demons. And Paul issues a warning to the unfaithful Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10.21 You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake from the table of the Lord and the table of demons. The message is simple. Commit. Demons are hostile to God. A Christian's intentions don't matter when they participate in idol worship or when they eat idol meat. The facts matter. I, I, what was going on in my head is I remember when I was in Thailand and I went to see the lying Buddha. It's this big, long statue and all these people are bowing to it and worshiping it and you have to take your shoes off to go in and there's incense everywhere and everything and if you don't bow with the right reverence. Yeah, I was bowing down and I was saying, Almighty God, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die for me. Thank you so much. I'm beating my breast. Thank you so much for giving me a real and living God instead of this junk metal that's put together that all these suckers think is something important. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me get those shoes off because they was killing my feet. Amen. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know. They didn't hurt them. But I was praying to the real God, the one and only God, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> So, 1 Corinthians 10.22, or do we keep on provoking the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than the Lord, are we? 
If the Corinthian believers are to prosper, they need to learn from the Jews in the wilderness. They saw the consequences. Do they want to repeat the error? Do they want to tug on Superman's cape to quote a Jim Croce song? You don't want to tug on Superman's cape. God is Superman. Let's not lick hand grenades. Paul warns us to flee from idolatry. He warns us to flee from fornication, which is premarital sex. Why? Because they're destructive. What are the idols in your life? And how do they distract you? Or how do they separate you from the worship of the Lord? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Don't buy into the collusion of the world. Dare to be different. I... The closing message of this study is the most important message of this study. We want you to know that God wants you. We don't ever want anybody to come to Barah Ministries without leaving, knowing exactly what it takes to get to heaven. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? All right, now first and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart on the throne of your life as he deserves to be, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you, the absolute confidence that's provided by your faith in Christ, and give the defense with gentleness and respect. Secondly, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. That's bad news for you because sinners need a savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life as outlined in Acts chapter 16 verse 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. We want you to know that God wants you. Now, if you closed your eyes in this life right this moment, and found yourself standing before the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lord asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, such a scenario would never happen. That's not how God works. If you close your eyes in this life and you don't know where you're going, you're in big trouble. Amen? But let's just suppose. Many would talk about what a good person they are. Many would talk about their good works the things they've done to earn and to deserve entrance into heaven. But the Bible has bad news for good people who want to work their way into heaven. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Now to the one who works for salvation, his payment is not paid as if it were a gracious favor from God, but his payment is paid because it is what is due. His, his, favor, his payment is paid because it, because it is what he has earned because of his work. Now, the bad news is that your goodness as a person and your hard work are not good enough to get you into heaven because they are not perfect. You were born with a problem. From the moment of your physical birth, God considered you a sinner. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, in addition to being a sinner from physical birth, you commit personal sins. 
You're a sinner because Adam's original sin was credited to your account. You commit personal sins because you're a knucklehead. Now, sinners and those who sin simply don't meet God's absolute righteousness standard because God requires perfection to get into heaven. So being a good person or trying to work your way into heaven with good but imperfect deeds does not impress God at all. It's not your fault that you're a sinner from physical birth, but it is your circumstance. Unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. You're born spiritually dead, and eventually you will die physically. But the Lord Jesus Christ himself passed along this very bad news to a self-righteous Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 3. Nicodemus had been studying the scripture for 20 years and didn't know this very simple thing. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, the spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. And if you go back and read that passage, Nicodemus was in shock. He, couldn't, he didn't recover for that for 10 verses. He was like, <laughs> the Lord said, hey, don't marvel that I said that you have to be born again. What, you're a teacher who's been studying the Old Testament scriptures for 20 years and you don't know this? So funny. Well, the gospel message is the good news concerning what God did to fix the bad news for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells God's attitude toward sinners. God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. Christ bailed you out when you were a sinner. And if you believe in him, you are no longer a sinner. What are you? A saint. We move from sinners to saints. You don't believe me? Look and see every one of Paul's letters. Who does he address? The saints at Rome. What is that? The believers. He doesn't say the sinners at Rome. And there are a lot of believers walking around thinking they're still sinners. You are not. You are a saint. And how'd you get that way? God made you that way. So who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's what makes Jesus Christ different from everybody else. He was raised from the dead, and nobody else was. Allah wasn't. Mohammed wasn't. Joseph Smith wasn't. No pope ever was. Nobody else has been raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. Absolute righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven, and it is the key to eternal life, the resurrection life, and it is yours free of charge if you want it. At the moment you believe in Christ, God the Holy Spirit places you in union with Christ and credits to your account absolute righteousness, and you are saved once and for all time, and you cannot get out. John 10, 28, I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and nobody's going to take them out of my hand. You're going to tug on Superman's cape? You're going to try to take one of my guys? No, you're not. What did Jesus say to his father? I didn't lose one that you gave me. No, you're not going to tug on Superman's cape. 
So, absolute righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven, and if you are a believer in Christ, you have it, and you cannot lose it, and you have the resurrection life, and it's yours free of charge if you want it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11 say this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 10.10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone to get to heaven, resulting in salvation. Romans 10.11, here's the truth, T-R-O-O-F, the scripture says, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. Amen? If you close your eyes in this life right this moment and found yourself standing before the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Lord asked you, why should I let you into heaven? All you have to say is this. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. All you have to say is, I believed in you when I was alive, Lord, and that's all it takes to get to heaven, and you'd be right. So heed the invitation and the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. There is a hell, a very real place, and it is described this way in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. The Son of Man... The Lord Jesus Christ will send forth his elect angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, that's unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, that's unbelievers, Matthew 13, 42, and the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And on the other hand, what happens to believers in Christ? Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous, believers in Christ, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So for those who are without a relationship with Christ, the Lord will just ask them to step to the left and take the elevator. Just press down. Don't let that be you. Sinners need a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and you will be saved. See, the conclusion you have to come to is this, that the only way to get to the lake of fire is if you want to. Because 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 said, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a change of mind about Christ. So if you go to the lake of fire, it's because you wanted to. It's not because God wanted you to. All right, we close with music. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says this, We believers in Christ have come to know and have come to believe the unconditional love which God the Father has for us. Unconditional. No conditions. You have never disappointed God. You cannot disappoint God. He would never look at you that way. Unconditional means no conditions. We believers in Christ have come to know and have come to believe the unconditional love which God the Father has for us. God the Father is unconditional love in his very person and the one who abides in the sphere of unconditional love abides in union with God the Father and God the Father abides in him well here's June Murphy to sing the best song she has ever written and one of the best songs of all time in fact sung from God's perspective which is the only perspective 
when I say I love you.
woman needs some oxygen. <laughs> that song takes a lot of air, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In closing, a praise to our God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus, and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. And remember that he cares for you is an idiom in the Greek, and it means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for this injection of truth. We thank you for inoculating our senses and our spirit so that we have spiritual eyes. And as we go forward into the world, we ask you to help us to continue to look at the world with spiritual eyes and to see it for what it is, a lie, and not to be at all discouraged by that because we have the victory through your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.